Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week kicks off a brand new four-week teaching series, Love Works Well. That seems like a disputable statement. Often those who attempt to compassionately love and place the needs of others first are quickly trampled, disregarded as irrelevant, and seen as soft. It seems that survival in a modern world takes toughness, strength, and a sharp focus on my interests. Or does it? What if I led with love? What if I intentionally thought of others first? What if I served those around me without expecting anything in return? Would that work? Join Valley Point Church in week one as we answer these questions and discover how that love works well in our marriages. We begin a brand new series today called Love Works Well. And all you need is love, right? Actually, I think you need a few more things than that, but it's fair to say that love works well. And we're going to spend the next four weeks just unpacking that truth and trying to figure that statement out, that love works well. One of the things that I'm very grateful for in life, very thankful for, is growing up in a home where I felt loved. That feeling of love eventually grew to an intellectual understanding that I am loved by the people in this house, by my family. They actually love me. So I felt loved, and intellectually, I understood that. And it was a great feeling. I grew up as one of four kids. I have an older sister and then two younger brothers. We're all married now, and together we have produced 17 grandchildren for my parents. And so when we have the opportunity to get together, there's just a lot happening, and there's a lot of noise. It's a lot of fun, and I would also say that there is a lot of love when we get together. And my parents did an absolutely fantastic job of building that environment where we felt loved, and intellectually we understood, and we knew that we were loved. One of the great memories I have of my parents loving me involves a gift that they gave me 29 years ago. It's this Bible right here that they gave to me when I was 15 years old. And it's a significant gift because it's a Bible, but beyond that, there's a story that helps me just remember my parents' love for me. When I was 15 years old, I got approached by the pastor of the church that we were attending at the time. And he said, you know what? I'd love for you to give a 10-minute talk in our church in front of everybody. I'm like, everybody? He said, yeah, everybody. I want you to give a talk. And I said, well, I'd be willing to do that if you help me out a bit because I really don't know what that means and I don't know how to package that and what to say and what not to say and how do you pick a piece of scripture. So if you help me, I'll be very willing to do that. He said, I'd be glad to help. So we sat down together and he helped me with my very first sermon when I was 15 years old, and I stood up in front of that little church, and I gave my talk, and it was awful. I mean, it was absolutely awful. I am not kidding. I remember thinking as I was speaking that this is a train wreck. This is a disaster. And my mom's sitting on the front row, and she was nodding and smiling as if everything was wonderful. And when you looked out, everybody else was like, what's going on, and where did this guy come from? So it was an absolute disaster, but I learned a lot from that experience. And then I got invited by another church to give the same talk. 
like they heard. Hey, we know that you speak, and we'd love to have a younger person speak in our church as well, so why don't you come and give that talk? I'm like, well, this is my opportunity. The pastor won't be there that helped me, and I'm going to do it my way this time. He was a great guy, but he was kind of straight-laced and somewhat calm, which isn't exactly me. So I decided to put my own little spin on the sermon, and I threw in a bunch of jokes that had nothing to do with the paragraph, but I at least said it because I thought this would engage the crowd. And so I got up, and I told jokes, and people laughed, and it was absolutely wonderful, and I loved giving that talk because I threw in jokes and sarcasm. So jokes and sarcasm launched my pastoral career. That's where it all began. And it was wonderful. I loved that day. And it was very meaningful to me. And what my mom and dad did after I gave that second talk, which was much better, is they bought me this Bible. And on the front, it's got my name, Eric F. Kohler. And then it's got the paragraph that I first taught from. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And every time I hold this book and I open it up and I read it, I'm not only reminded of God's love for me, but I have this wonderful picture, this wonderful reminder that my parents loved me as well. I felt that intellectually. I understood that. And they not only loved me as an individual, but they love my work and they love what I do. And that is something that has really sustained me to this day. Very, very grateful for that. Now, my family has its struggles and its disagreements and its flaws. We were not a perfect family, but yet my parents did a really good job, even in the middle of all of the tension and all of the fighting and all the struggles that you go through as a family. They just did a great job of creating this atmosphere of love. And if you grew up with that, you know the feeling, and you know how that has a wonderful ability just to set you up to really succeed in life and to be way ahead of the game, knowing that there are people who care about you and love you. It's a wonderful feeling. Now, some of you didn't get the luxury of having that type of environment. And even as you hear me describe that, there's sadness and frustration and maybe even anger that you didn't have that. Yet, this is what you want for your life. You want love to work well with your marriage to your husband or your wife, and you want that for your kids or your grandkids or the people that are around you and are a part of your life. You want love to work well. And I want to let you know that it can. And you have the opportunity to be a cycle breaker and to begin a whole new way of life for you and for your family and for those that are around you if you indeed let love work well. We begin this series today, and I'm really excited about it because there's something that I want for you. I don't want anything from you today, but there is something that I want for you. And here's what I want for you. I want you to be able to walk away each and every week that we walk through this time together with just a confidence that God has something to say about how I can have healthy, dynamic, and even enjoyable relationships with the people around me. That's what I want for you. Just to be able to walk out and say, you know what? God actually does have something to say about some of these relationships that can be very tough and very challenging and very difficult, but God has something to say about how they can be healthy and dynamic and even enjoyable. And so this is what we're going to spend our time thinking about over these next few weeks because love works well. 
it does. So here's how we're going to walk through this series. Today I'm going to talk about the marriage relationship and how love can work well there. Next week we're going to come back and ask and answer the question, what about those that I hate? Right? Like when I walk into a room and that person is there, there's anger and there's tension and there's just bad feelings, like it just doesn't work. And I would even say maybe I hate that person. What about those that I hate? We're going to ask that question and we're going to answer it and say love can work well even in that type of situation. Then on Mother's Day, we're going to be here and we're going to think about the phrase, my kids are driving me crazy. I mean, they just are, whether they're young kids or older kids or even kids that are out of the home or maybe it's grandkids. My kids that are in my world are driving me crazy. And can love work well when my kids drive me crazy? We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to wrap up this series by thinking through how love works at work. And when we allow love to work well there, I think we have a greater chance at being successful in our careers and with the people that are around us. So today, marriage, after that, the people that I hate. The third week, we're going to think about our kids and how they might drive us crazy, but yet we can let love work well in that environment and parent with hope. And then we're going to come back and polish it off by thinking about how love works at work. It has that possibility. So here's our big idea for today. Here's what we're going to really try to unpack and think about, and that is marriage matters. All right? Marriage matters, and it doesn't have to be a pain. Often it is a pain, and you probably have your own story of what that looks like in your world, but marriage matters, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a pain. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to define love for the sake of our conversation. You see symbols and pictures on our stage of how love has been defined in other eras and in other years. And there's certainly pictures and symbols that define love. But I want to be a little more intentional than just looking at a picture. I want to define it with some words. And so as we move through each week, here's what we're saying about love. It is choosing to give someone your time and friendship no matter what. It's intentionally choosing to give somebody whether it's my spouse or a child or somebody that I struggle with, I'm going to intentionally give them my time and my friendship no matter what. And perhaps this is challenged most within the confines of marriage. Isn't it? Giving someone my time and friendship no matter what. Good days, bad days, this is what I need to do. If I'm truly loving and allowing love to work well, I'm giving it that way and within the confines of marriage. This can be a pretty challenging thing. So if you're married and you're in the room, I want to encourage you to lean in a bit because I'm going to talk specifically to you. And this is going to target you. And I hope when you walk out the door, you understand God has something to say about how this relationship can be dynamic. I don't know if your relationship right now is strong, somewhere in the middle, or if you're hanging on by a thread, but God's going to encourage you today. I really believe that. So if you're married, lean in a bit. I've been married for 21 years now to my wife, Tanya. I talked to some people going out the door. There was one couple that said, this is year 63 for us. Can you imagine? 63 years. That's incredible. Maybe you're somewhere in between 21 and 63, or maybe you're here and you're working on year one. 
All right, whether it's one year or 21 years or 41 or 63, whatever that looks like, I want to encourage you to lean in as a married couple because some of the things that we're going to talk about are things that we have to constantly remind ourselves of. Like this isn't earth-shattering information today, but we just forget about it. And even as I was preparing this and putting it together, I'm like, man, I need to do a better job of that. And so these are going to be wonderful reminders, whether you're brand new or you've had a lot of years under your belt. So if you're married, lean in. I want to say if you're single or single again, I want to encourage you to hang in there for a bit because I've got something specifically to say to you as well. And right now you're probably thinking, I could have slept in today and I would be better off for it because this has nothing to do with me. But I just want to encourage you to hang in there. Give me a second, and we're going to talk to you, and I think you'll be encouraged today as well. And then if you're a student, if you're younger, you're in sixth grade all the way on up to your college years, this is something that's probably going to be in your future. Whether you're thinking about it right now or not, it's probably going to happen to you. And again, I want you to lean in and think about this, because if you get some of this stuff right now, in terms of relationships and how you communicate and how you walk through this, You're going to be way ahead of the game, and you'll be in great shape. All right, let's talk about the gap in relationships. It's interesting because in all relationships, there is this thing called expectations. This is the stuff that we believe will happen. This is the stuff that we think will happen based on maybe something we've seen before or something that we have observed in another couple and we come into any relationship. And again, we're thinking about the marriage relationship, but really you can apply this to all kinds of different relationships. We come in with expectations. This is what I want and this is what I believe will happen, but there's something else in every relationship and that is... Experiences. In other words, this is what really happens, right? So there's expectations. This is what I want, and I hope he, and I hope she, and I hope together we. This is the expectation part, but there's also the experience that says here's the reality of what happens. Between our expectations, what we hope for, and our experiences, there is what we're going to call a pretty big gap. Isn't there sometimes? Here's what I want to happen, but here's what really happened, and often there's just kind of a big gap in between. I believe what we do with that gap between expectations and experiences will determine the success of our marriage. And there's really two things we can do in that moment. When there's a gap between expectations and experiences, we can assume the worst about the other person or we can believe the best. For marriages that succeed, they go to ridiculous lengths to believe the best about that person when there is a gap between expectations and experiences. I want you to think about that for a second. Marriages that succeed, they go to ridiculous lengths to believe the best about each other when there is this kind of gap between expectations and experiences. Let's be honest. When we approach marriage, everybody pretty much says, I want this marriage to be great. 
I want this to work. I want it to be wonderful. I want it to be the best thing ever. That's what most people say. I was thinking about the different marriages that I've performed as a pastor in the past 21 years. I've had the chance to officiate at 29 different weddings. I love weddings. They're great. It's like a big party. People are happy generally, and it's a good time. And I've got three in the queue for this year, and I can't wait for them. I've, I've circled them on the calendar. They're going to be a lot of fun. I, I like weddings. And I like to meet with the couples that I'm going to marry beforehand, and I talk with them, and we walk through some premarital counseling just to make sure we're all on the same page. And I have never, in 21 years, with 29 different couples, have had any of them come in and say, you know what our expectation is? That this thing will be a complete disaster within a couple of years. Gee, I hope we just fall into complete disrepair and that this becomes a train wreck. That's what we expect. I did have one couple that kind of said that, but we kind of worked through that a little bit. And they got to the point with the other 29 couples where they said, we want our marriage to be dynamic. We want it to be great. And we know we have to manage the gap between expectations and experiences. This is what we want. The question becomes, well, how do you do that? Because it's kind of easy to draw and map out and say, well, there's this gap, and we all understand this for the most part. We get it. How do you actually pull that off? Well, the paragraph that I want to unpack today is found in Ephesians chapter 4. And I really believe this is one of the most powerful paragraphs in all of Scripture because it gives practical insight, practical advice on how we can fix the gap between expectations and experiences. And even though it's simple, and even though it's practical, I believe it has something to say to us, and it would be wise for us to pay attention and say, let's give that a shot. Now, in saying that, I understand that some of you are thinking, this information is too late. Like, I needed it yesterday, or two years ago, or five years ago, or ten years ago to fix that relationship that hit the rocks. I understand that. And so I'm not saying if you do these simple things, it's going to fix everything and make everything perfect. But I do believe it's a starting point. And if something is needed beyond that, I believe God has the ability to speak into that as well. But we're going to start with this. We're going to start by thinking about how to fix the gap. So here we go. And I want to remind you one more time. This is not new information. All right? This is going to blow your socks off. You're going to say, well, of course I should be doing that. But I hope that in hearing it in this context, it gives you a little bit of a reminder to say, I actually need to implement that and do that instead of just hear about it. Okay? So let's talk about fixing the gap between expectations and experiences. And by the way, if you're single or single again, this really applies to all kinds of relationships. It's not just the marriage relationship. So you apply this to whatever it is that you need to be thinking about right now as I talk to married couples about fixing the gap. All right, so if you want to fix that gap, here we go. Number one, speak the truth in love. And there's a progression there. Speak the truth, but do that in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love. There's the phrase. And here's the result. Like, if I do that, if I communicate that way, here's the result. I will grow in every way more and more like Christ. And isn't that ultimately our goal in life, to become more and more like Christ? 
And so if we want that to happen, well, we've got to speak the truth in love in our relationships. I think in marriages, it's not enough speaking the truth in love. There might be a lot of speaking, and there might be speaking the truth, like this is the reality, but how that's done in an atmosphere of love and letting love work, that rarely happens. And here's what it looks like. And maybe you have experienced this before when you get into a discussion, we'll call it, with your spouse. Often we tend to respond in one of two ways. When it gets a little sideways and the tension is turned up and the heat is on, we do one of two things. See if you're in these categories. With our communication, we blow up. Yeah? That's the veins popping, fists kind of all up in the air. It's like a volcano, and the lava comes out, and lava is hot, and lava damages. Blowing up is not a great communication tool long term. It doesn't work, but this is what we tend to do. Now, if you don't think I'm talking to you, perhaps... The other response is where you find yourself. If we don't blow up, sometimes we can be pretty good about clamming up. Oh, nothing's wrong. I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I really think there's something going on here. Why don't you talk to me? No, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything is perfect. Kind of clam up. Also, not a good communication tool long term. Now, one of the fun things about being up here is I get the chance to watch some of you, and there are some couples elbowing each other right now. Right? Let me just say, elbowing is not a good communication tool either. And this is an elbow-free zone today. So you just think about yourself and what God might be saying to you. So if we shouldn't blow up, and if we're not supposed to clam up, how do you actually speak the truth in love? Because that's the thing we're supposed to be doing. That's what fixes the gap between expectations and experiences. So if we're not supposed to blow up or clam up, how do we speak the truth in love? Well, verse 26 tells us to keep current. That's the next thought. Keep current. If you're going to speak the truth in love, you got to keep current, and keeping current looks like this. Verse 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. There's a really powerful verse that has a lot of implications for how we communicate. So I want to read it one more time. Don't sin by letting anger control you. And here's the principle of keeping current. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, take care of today's problems today. Because if you don't do that, Anger gives a foothold to the devil, and that is a very dangerous thing. So take care of today's problems today. And if there is an issue, well, then let's just determine that we're going to stay up as late as possible and do our best to not let the sun set while we're angry. And if we don't choose to do that, it generally leads to people sleeping in different places. And sleeping in different places is devastating doesn't work long-term. So we're going to speak the truth in love, and the way we do that is we keep current. We're going to take care of today's problems today. All right? Here's the third thought, and that is attack the problem and not the person. Sometimes it's really easy to attack the person, isn't it? 
Like, well, you this, and you said, and you did, or you didn't, and we begin to attack the person. Well, we got to attack the problem. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. You just kind of let that soak into your mind for a second. We don't use foul or abusive language. Like, what if we just did what God's word actually said? It's pretty amazing. I remember meeting with a couple one time at another church in another state, so it's nobody here. And they walked in, and when they walked in, I knew I was up for a ride. Like, I'm not going to be able to handle this. Like, there was tension, there was veins were popping, and it got toxic really fast. So I was trying to coach them and help them, and I wanted to do my very best, but they started to talk, and F-bombs started to fly, and every other creative word that I'd never even heard of before. It was all happening in this environment. And I just kind of stepped back and said, you know what, I'm not sure what to do here. Because the language is so foul and abusive that if you don't fix that, if you don't figure that out, I don't think there's a lot of hope for you. Because that's how stuff, you can't, you can't get that back. You can't take that back. So what if we just actually did what God's word said as we communicate and we go after the problem, not the person, and that involves not using foul or abusive language. Instead, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, that sounds good, but how do you do that? Verse 31, here's the plan. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, I think this is one of the amazing things about Scripture. Sometimes we get these lists of stop doing this, don't. Or put this off. And what scripture is really good about is saying, if you're going to do that, here's what you got to put on in its place. It's not enough just to remove something from your life. you got to replace it with another discipline or something else that's good. And this is what we find here. Put off bitterness. Rage, anger, harsh words. Like that stuff doesn't work. Instead, here, put this on. Be kind. Tenderhearted. What if we forgave each other? Oh my goodness. What if we lifted the load from the other person and said, I'm not going to bring this up to you anymore. I'm done. And we're going to move forward. I'm not going to bring it up to other people. I'm going to actually forgive you because God through Christ has forgiven me. It's an amazing illustration. So, speak the truth in love. How do you do that? Keep current. And how do you pull that off? Well, attack the problem and not the person. Again, not new information, not earth-shattering, but if we implemented these things, it just make a huge difference. Now, before I get into my takeaways, I just want to talk to a couple of groups for a moment. For those of you who have walked through the pain of a separation or a divorce, or maybe you're walking through that right now as we speak, and you're there, And this information, again, it's too late. Like maybe it would have helped, but perhaps that relationship was so far gone, even this wouldn't have done anything at all. And you know the pain and the devastation, the loss of that relationship, and you're feeling that. I haven't experienced that. I just haven't. So I'm not going to pretend that I can understand that level of pain and hurt. But I've walked people through that process 
And I know often other good intentioned people come around you and they want to help you, but they say very damaging things, things that hurt and things that cannot be taken back. And the pain is only intensified. People can be very hurtful. And maybe even you hearing about this today makes you very uncomfortable. Like, I wish I would have just slept in. Wish I would have stayed home. Because I don't want to be reminded again of something that didn't work in my life. Would you just remember that God embraces you in the middle of your pain? He does. And if that's the only thing you hear, and the only thing that you take away from this, that's great. God embraces you in the middle of your pain and he sees you and he cares about you and don't fall for the lie that God only cares about the perfect family. All right? Don't fall for the lie that God only cares about the perfect family because when you walk through scripture and you begin to look at the different families that are here, you understand that there is a lot of hurt and rejection and brokenness and people are downhearted and desperate and if that's you because of what you are walking through right now, or what you've experienced in your past, I just want to encourage you, God sees your pain. Embrace Ephesians chapter 4 moving forward, and don't lose hope in what God can do through you now. All right? Don't let the past eat your future. Embrace Ephesians 4 now going forward, and believe in a big God of hope. For those of you who are single, or you're single again, and students in the room, those of you who are younger, and you're there and you, you want marriage and you know that's probably going to happen for you at some point. I just want you to listen to this. Before you think about him or before you get all excited about her, I want you to do something first. Chase God first. Okay? Forget about her and forget about him for a little bit and chase God first. Make him the number one priority in your life. And I think as you're chasing God and making him the number one priority in your life, as you're going hard after him, if you look out and you see somebody doing the same thing and they look really good, go for it. (laughs) Right? If you're chasing God and you look over and that guy or that girl is hot, go for it and have a ball. That's probably the person that God has for you. But it all starts with chasing God first. Make him the priority and then look out. Who's doing the same? Maybe that's the person that God has for you. Here's our takeaways. I'm going to zero in on married couples here for a moment. Number one, you will never build a great marriage if you have a back door. You've got to find a way to close the back door. Uh, back doors don't work in marriage. They work in other instances and cases, but they don't work in marriage. And if the back door is another girl or another guy, you need to be done with that because it will destroy everything that you have. So you will never build a great marriage if you have a back door. Secondly, fight to understand your spouse. Don't fight your spouse, but fight to understand them. It's amazing to me how often we put a lot of time and strategy and thinking and dreaming and planning and visioning into our work and into our own dreams But yet we don't do that with the most important relationships that we have. We don't spend the time strategizing. How can I improve this? How can I make it better? What can I do about this? And so the challenge here is fight to understand your spouse. Maybe you're the problem. And if you fight to understand them, maybe things will open up a bit. And then number three, 
Regular sexual intimacy is vitally important. If you're married, it's vitally important. I know this can be kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about in church, but God created sex. He's the inventor of it. He's the one that made it, and it's a beautiful thing within the confines of marriage. And if more married couples had more sex, they'd probably be okay. So ramp this up, all right? That's your homework today. Let's ramp it up. I want to close by saying marriage matters. It matters. We talk about marriage matters, and it doesn't have to be a pain. Maybe it is a pain for you right now. You just need to pray. God begins to work some things out, but marriage matters. It doesn't have to be a pain. And I want to tell you why. It matters because God believes in this. And again, if your story is one where that didn't work, God sees, God knows, and he understands your pain. He gets it. But God believes in this, and so it matters. It does matter because till death do us part can be a beautiful thing. It does matter because a man and a woman who give themselves to each other give the world a glimpse of happy. It does matter because a husband and wife who truly love each other, that's the greatest gift they can give to their children. It does matter because that little girl in your house, it's important for her. It does matter because that young boy in your house is worth it. It does matter because our kids need to see what it looks like when a dad and a mom pursue each other and pursue God at the same time. So it matters, and it doesn't have to be a pain. So let's let love work. Father, we're thankful for some time today in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is just an awesome paragraph of Scripture, so powerful. It's practical, it's simple, but yet it tells us how we can approach relationships really of all kind. God, we've zeroed in on the marriage relationship. So I pray that you'd help us to just make application as we need to, depending on what station of life we may find ourselves in. God, right now I want to pray for our younger people that are in the room, our students, who at some point in their lives will probably walk through the path of marriage. God, I pray for them right now that you'd help them to get more consumed with chasing you and making you the priority, making you number one. And then as they're doing that, look out. Who's doing the same thing? And maybe that's the person that you have for them. Help them to make that commitment today. God, I pray for those who are a little older than that student age and they're single or single again. God, whatever frustration might be there about wanting marriage to happen, and maybe it just hasn't happened yet for whatever reason, and there's angst about that, pray they'd help those individuals to chase you first. God, for those that are single again, and there's a wound there that um, can't even be described. It's, It's so raw. And it hurts deep and it's even difficult probably for them to hear some of this stuff today. God, I pray that you'd really speak to them right now. And help them to know that you are a God who sees and a God who understands their pain. And you've got a wonderful plan and purpose for their lives going forward. Help them not to let the past devour what's in front of them. Help them to embrace your plan. 
and to move forward with Ephesians chapter 4 in mind and a God who's full of hope. God, for our married couples in the room right now, I just pray that you give them a great passion for each other. God, help them to work hard at fixing the gaps. Help us to be strategic. Help us to put time into that and effort. Not just assume that it's going to fix itself, but help us to give it the right kind of attention. So I pray for our married couples, God, that they'd walk out of here with a renewed sense of wanting to speak the truth and love by keeping current and attacking the problems and not the individuals. God, help them to go to ridiculous lengths to believe the best and not assume the worst. And God, as we just continue to move through this series, I pray that you'd help us to really understand that love works well, even in the toughest of circumstances. Bless us now as we respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.